Today, I am talking to Ashley. She is a working mom of three who spent her last maternity leave writing a memoir on the down and dirty life with an alcoholic. She shares her years-long struggle to decide if it was better to stay and support or to go and to love from afar. With two toddlers at home, Ashley began her next chapter of life as a single mom. She had no resources to be found, so she started to journal to chronicle her process and her progress as a way to help other women in similar circumstances. Her new book, The Other Side of the Door, came out this year. It is incredible, as is Ashley, and she openly shares her story with us today, and I hope that you find it as inspiring and empowering as I did. She is truly incredible, and her message is that we are not alone in this, and I feel that anybody going through any kind of similar situation will find support in her message. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp. And each episode, I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community, because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hello, Ashley, and welcome to Around the Campfire. Hi, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk to you today. Can you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Ashley, and I am a mom of three kids, an almost one-year-old, a six-year-old, and a nine-year-old, and uh, an amazing husband. I am on the opposite side of the country from you. I'm uh, in Virginia, and um, I work in marketing day-to-day and um, have recently written my first book. Amazing. And that's really where we're we're going to dig into today. So you have such an incredible story. And as you say, you've written a book. It's, it's quite a memoir about your experience. So can you tell us a bit of your story and what led you to write the book? Yeah. Um, so I went through a pretty difficult uh, first marriage. And um, when I got divorced, my kids were only one and three at the time. And Um, I'm an avid reader and like lover of just information. And as I was Googling and looking on Amazon, you name it, I could not find any book or resource to help me. Um, It was like divorce didn't exist if you had kids that little. And I was only 30 at the time when I got divorced. And most of my friends were either barely married or not married yet. And like just there was no one who could really relate to what I was going through. And it was actually my brother-in-law, my ex's brother, who told me, you should be writing all of this down. Um, you know, what you're going through is crazy. And I know we'll, we'll get into all of that, but but that was really what prompted me to write the book. It's, I, I really uh, want to acknowledge you for that and him as well for recommending it, because part of the reason I started Mom Camp is so that moms will know they're not alone. Yours is a fairly exceptional experience. And so, um, you know, it's not just trouble breastfeeding. So there are all kinds of experiences that women can have and to not be able to find that resource, like the situation you were in, uh, not being able to find something to 
help you and support you and make you feel like you're not alone. Thank you for creating that. That's really incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for helping me get the word out. Um, of course. You know, I, I don't have connections in the publishing world. It wasn't something where I, I also wanted to really figure out how to spend two years trying to pitch to companies. And, you know, one of the things I will say about Amazon is how amazing and easy they make the self-publishing experience. And I actually utilized all sorts of just random, lovely people I have met in the Facebook world um, who have kind of guided me through the self-publishing process. And so at first I was just going to publish this and just put it out there and whoever found it, found it. And then I just decided that is such a disservice to what mm-hmm. I wanted to do, which was to help other women who were in my situation, which, you know, you say my story is exceptional. It's really not. And that's the saddest well, part for me is like, I'm amazed yeah. at how many people have reached out to me, sent me DMs on Instagram, um, Facebook messaged me. If like, these just acquaintances in my neighborhood who, you know, tell me they've had similar stories. You know, it's so true. And I was actually thinking that as I was, you know, thinking about what I was going to ask you and I do consider it an incredible experience for sure. Um, but And we will get into it, as you said, people are probably wondering what the heck we're talking about. Um, but um, it, it isn't uncommon. Um, and, but it isn't spoken about a lot, uh, even today. So why don't we, why don't we get into it? And you tell us, tell us your story. Yeah. So way back when, um, when I was in college, it feels so long ago now, I'm actually getting ready for my 15-year reunion, which is crazy. Um, I was dating a boy. Uh, We had met, I was waitressing uh, at a restaurant, and he had already graduated. He was a a chef at the restaurant where I was working. And um, we started dating, fell in love, Um, just kind of your college boyfriend experience. I don't think he was someone that I thought I saw forever with, I thought, you know, our lives probably were going to take different paths, but, um, I loved him and, you know, was really enjoying my time with him. And then I actually spent my last semester, um, abroad and I figured, well, this will kind of be where it, where it breaks and where it ends. And then I actually had this crazy experience, um, while studying abroad, I did, um, a program where you study abroad on a cruise ship and you take classes every day you're at sea and then you get to explore all the countries. Um, mm-hmm. Um, Which sounds amazing, but I know yours wasn't. Incredible. (laughs) After we got through uh, the first few weeks, um, we actually um, hit a rogue wave in the middle of the Pacific and we were stranded um, for a number of hours. And when I look back at video footage of it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like we should have capsized. It was it just insane. And so it was, really what does it, sorry, I have to ask, what does a rogue wave do? Does it shut the engines down? Does it, so it crash through the navigation deck? Um, oh, where, like, the captain is like <gasps> during the ship. Oh my gosh. So we were stuck with no engines. They ended up getting like one of the engines running, which ended up getting us after like a, a couple of days, we were able to make our way to Hawaii, which everyone jokes, oh, you had to be sure yeah. Hawaii, so, which was lovely, but it was not on our plans to go there. Well, um, and terrifying in the moment too. Yeah, it was, it was really traumatic and, and it really deeply impacted me more so. And I talk about this in the book, like it wasn't until years and years later that I realized that moment just put so much fear in me. And I felt like, oh my gosh, my life could end at any moment. I need to just start and do all the things that you're supposed to do as an adult. Um, and six months later, I was home and engaged to my college boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and during our engagement, um, we had, you know, just, you know, a great time together. We were, um, we had moved into our first apartment together and 
uh, probably six months or so before our wedding, his cousin had um, passed away in a car accident. He was really close to him and it really deeply impacted him uh, to the point where he was drinking super, super heavy. Um, it was really concerning to me, but I was also 20, 23 by that point, um, just out of college, you know, it's drinking is part of yeah, college. It's the party years for sure. Yeah. And I know that drinking is a way that a lot of people cope with grief, not that it's a healthy way, but certainly a common way. And mm-hmm. so I kind of talked it up to that and didn't want to like harp on that too much. I wanted to let him process and get through this tough time. Um, and I just assumed things would get better. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately they did not get better. We, we would go through phases where things were, were good. And, um, and then things just started taking darker turns. We, um, we had our first daughter, uh, four years after we had gotten married and, um, she was just incredible. And I had a challenging pregnancy with her where he was just one of those guys who just had a hard time, um, with pregnancy and Mm. body changing and and all of that. And so it was kind of an isolating pregnancy. And again, um, I was 27 at the time, first of my friends to have a baby. So again, just again, doing the things first, um, and, and kind of struggling for some of the support there and, and not knowing that this is, this is not good. Like my right. would be way more supportive than this. Um, and we had a physical altercation when she was about two weeks old. Um, he didn't hit me or anything, but he was literally chasing me throughout our house while I'm carrying this two week old infant. I had was terrifying. It, it was just crazy. And what's crazier to me looking back at that is never once in my mind, did I even consider calling the police? Like mm-hmm. it didn't enter my mind. Um, Cause you think all the time, like, well, why don't people call the police sooner? Why don't they, why don't they leave? And I think you just think of it for so long as they're one-off incidences, inc- instances. Um, and you just, I don't know, it's hard to process that. And it's hard to look back and think, gosh, why, what would have, what would my life have been like if I had made that change way back then? And of well, course and it, it, it makes it public too, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a turning, a first turning point for us. And we started going to therapy. Um, he gave our therapist a lot of lip service. Um, we, that was the first time we kind of rationalized his drinking and said, Mm. whiskey is bad. You are a jerk when you drink whiskey, but when you drink beer, you're kind of fun guy and it's, it's good to be around you. Um, and I, I don't recommend that. (laughs) <laughs> um, any, anyone who's going through a similar situation, I think anytime you can rationalize the behavior and kind of bucket, um, good versus bad, I, I think it's just a slippery slope. Um, and it, and it certainly was for him. So was, was that, that counselor, did the counselor encourage the rationalizing or was that just something you guys did as a couple? So I wouldn't say she encouraged, but she didn't discourage. And what oh, okay. I actually found through her, I think, my husband at the time was going to her individually as well. And mm. I think she could just tell, like, he wasn't in it. He wasn't telling her the truth. But it was kind of awkward because she then couldn't break his confidentiality in our right. together. Um, so eventually she just parted ways with us. Um, and oh, we were, that's hard. We were broke as a joke at the time. Like, it was a lot for us to even be going. And I was just, like, looking back, I'm like, thank you for not wasting the money we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then things improved for a while. You know, we got out of the infant stage and, and he was a great dad. He was super engaged with her. He loved playing. Um, just, he, he became a really good partner for a while. And so then since things were good for a while, we decided to try for baby number two. So hmm. two and a half years later, my son Ryan was born and he was just the light of my life. And he still is, um, it was during that pregnancy where things really started taking a turn. So similar to the first pregnancy, I think, I think it's just really stressful, um, for, for Jeff, who was my, um, ex. He, um, he just had a really hard time. I think the pressure of fatherhood and combined with drinking, um, just caused so much anxiety in him Mm. and he had gone on anxiety medication and I would see behaviors in him where, I would think he was drinking and he would say, no, no, it's just my medication, just my medication. And forever, that was kind of what I believed because it made sense. I would Google symptoms and they would align. So I trusted him. Um, And part of what I had also tried to do, you know, with an alcoholic is you don't want to necessarily seek out to get them in trouble necessarily. It's if, if you find out something, if you walk, walk in on something, that's kind of when you're supposed to address stuff and that's challenging Um, especially for like type A folks who like to be in control. Right. Um, But things were just bad from the start. Um, When we came home with our son, uh, Jeff had started a new job a few months prior, and he was just complaining nonstop about his boss, um, who she called us to congratulate uh, when Ryan was born. And I was like, wow, Jeff, she sounds really lovely. Um, She doesn't (laughs) sound like the monster you describe her as. And... um, you know, looking back, obviously, I'm sure he was a terrible employee for them mm-hmm. at the time, um, which is probably why he felt like she was all over him. Um, well, and in the book, you mentioned that he was going out at lunch to his car to drink, right? Yeah. So it's amazing the things you find out after you leave. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, I had some acquaintances who had worked with him and they they told me, yep, he would go out on, on breaks and he would drink in his car and and he worked a 7.30 to 3 shift. Like, he didn't work even 9 Overnight, to 5. Yeah. Day, but, I mean, he was there, like, at the crack of dawn working um, and then home in the afternoon. And then um, I had known that it was possible to to get out on short-term disability um, for anxiety. And I thought, well, maybe this will help him. Maybe that will give him some time to really focus on himself and just at least take off the work stress. And, again, at this time, I still had no idea that this, like, all-day drinking was going on. Mm-hmm. So he went to his doctor, his doctor put him out immediately and he was home for six months. Um, and to save money, he stayed home with our son a couple days a week. Um, he took our daughter to daycare. Um, I was still working full time. And when my son was almost nine months old, I walked in one morning and I saw Jeff pouring uh, whiskey into a mm. Coke can. And that was mm. at seven in the morning. And that was just my, oh my gosh, moment. Um, and yeah. everything changed from that point. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's terrifying. And knowing that he was in the, like he was taking care of the kids that oh, whole time as the well. Guilt. The guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to give away the rest of your book. I want people to read it, but I, my next question is obvious. So then what happened, right? Yeah, it's okay. We're, we can totally give it away. It's more yeah. important that people kind of know the story. They hear the story. Yeah. And if it applies to them. They're, 
it will be helpful to read it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So at that moment, um, he was so contrite and apologetic and I'll never drink again. Um, and I believed him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I said, I will help you. I helped him research, um, places we could go for AA meetings. I told him I would go with him as long as he wanted me to. So, um, we went to a couple together. Um, but what was crazy if, you know, if you've never witnessed an alcoholic who goes through withdrawal, I was like terrified. It was like the worst flu you've ever seen. He was Mm -hmm. throwing up, he was sweating. He couldn't move for three days. Um, my sister-in-law is a, is a doctor and, um, and also a recovering alcoholic. And, um, I was on the phone with her constantly those first couple of days, just like, is this okay? Is this, do I need to take him to the hospital? What do I need to be looking for? Cause I was mortified. Um, they were the only people that I told at the time. And I ended up having to tell my dad, um, because there was something that, uh, Jeff was responsible for that weekend that he was not going to be able to do. Um, but I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell my mom. I didn't want to let her down. Um, because she had naturally had so many concerns, um, particularly with this last pregnancy. And I just didn't want to like break her heart. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was still very quiet. Like other than my, my dad and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. Um, he stayed sober for six days. We (laughs) went to two AA meetings together, which impacted me far more than they impacted him. I just, it was such an honor to be in a room with with those people because it takes incredible strength to do what they're doing, to fight an addiction like alcoholism um, and to, to own it and to talk about it. It's just, it's a strength. Like I've just never witnessed and hearing them tell their stories and the things that they'd lost and the things that they'd learned from it um, was just really inspiring and encouraging. Um, and also made me realize what a hard road Jeff was going to have. Mm-hmm. Did it also at that point occur to you that he wasn't there at that stage yet where they were? I wasn't sure. Okay. I wasn't sure because he was so sad and so fearful of losing me um, that I thought maybe he, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe our family is enough to give him the strength to not Mm -hmm. drink. Um, Right. And then he did. um, And it was, you know, it's, not funny, but funny. He came home and he, I found a beer in the trash can and he was like, Oh, that was for, I was saving that for when I'm 30 days sober. And I was like, but you're not 30 days sober. So why is it empty? And he was like, I know. I just, I just wanted a sip. Oh. And I was like, that's not how this works. And, and then there was like this switch in him where suddenly instead of trying to be sober, it was, well, now I can just drink freely how I really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was hard because I, like, I knew what I had to do, but then I also had to get our life together and be able to leave and get him out. Um, right. I also know like you don't leave your house. You need to make him leave. And so I had to figure that out. Um, I needed to just, there was a lot to get in order. Um, How did you know that? Did you have people recommending that to you? That part I was able to just kind of Google a little bit. Um, Okay. Plus, I I mean, I was going to obviously have the kids. If this guy is sitting all day long, I'm not up for that. Like I needed to get him out. Um, So, because my parents, I was very blessed. My parents live locally. And um, so obviously I had 
you know, support nearby with them. Um, Cause it did not stay quiet for long. Like I did not, I, I eventually told my mom within the next like week or two, but just mm-hmm. that initial week, I just needed time to process. Um, so his parents really wanted him to go to rehab and I did know he was not ready for that. I think rehab mm-hmm. is when you are admitting I am at my bottom. I know that I do not want to do this again. I want to get better. Um, and he was not there. No, uh, but I also knew I was going to be responsible for kind of whatever they put him in. It was my insurance. I wanted to do the research. So if, if they were going to send him regardless, um, I, I wanted to have a say in where he went. And um, so he went um, after it was less than a month after I had first found him drinking. He did go to a 30 day program. Um, I believed that it would work. I was like, man, if you can stay sober for 30 days, of course you can do this. (laughs) And I was so hopeful during that time. And by that point I had actually let all of our friends and family know, and I had encouraged them to send him letters while he was in rehab, just notes of encouragement. Um, which looking back, like, I don't know if that was the right thing or not. I, I, I wonder a lot if I should have let him be more isolated in his experience as opposed to still trying to control it all. I went up every weekend to visit him. I brought um, one kid each weekend and they had um, classes that I could take so I could understand as well. Yeah. I don't think you can really question. I think you do what's right in that moment and there is no right or wrong way to go through something like this. Right. Right. So he came home. Yeah. And I was hopeful. Um, (laughs) Our pool opened the next day. It was Memorial Day weekend. And we live in walking distance to our little neighborhood pool. And I had forgotten like a float for the baby or something. And so he went back up to the house and he was gone for like an hour. Mm. That's weird. Um, I didn't find out until a week later, my neighbor who I hadn't told any of our neighbors and my neighbor um, had given him beer that morning. Oh man! He was like, "Man, I really want a beer to take to the pool." And she was like, "Oh, I have a couple." And and you know, bless her heart, she didn't know. Yeah, um, so innocent. Yeah, so innocent. And so he had two beers at like ten in the morning. Um, um, hadn't been home from rehab for twenty four hours yet. Um, <laughs> and so that was on a Saturday. On I think it was either Monday or Tuesday, he came home. He was very clearly drunk. Um, he had taken, he had picked up the kids from daycare and a car seat for my daughter in the car. And she was, um, three and a half by this point. Oh my gosh. He said, I know she's going to wrap me out. So I'm just going to tell you. And all I could do in that moment was just say, go upstairs and go to bed. Um, Mm -hmm. so put the kids to bed. I, I knew at that point, like it's, it's over. Um, the next night, I actually went to my first Al-Anon meeting and there was a woman there and I write about this in my book um, because I will just never forget her. She had been, she stayed with her husband. He had been sober for, I think it was like four or five years. And you've got to believe if your spouse is sober for that long, like you're in the clear, like that's Mm -hmm. in my head. And she went away for a business trip across the country and got a phone call from the police that he had gotten a DUI with his kid. Oh no. And I just, that stuck with me. And I was like, wow, I cannot live my life in fear like that. No. And the night, the next night, um, he was drunk again. And I, and I told him to leave, 
But then I was like, well, you can't leave because you're drunk. So I told him to go upstairs and he did it. He grabbed his keys. Um, and this was, this was the crazy moment. I decided to call the cops to tell them a drunk driver was going to be on the road. Like <laughs> why, when he's chasing after me with a two week old, I didn't, but then right. just to call the cops and say, Hey, a drunk driver is going to be on the road. I did. Um, but I, I because called. it's less personal. It's about a driver as opposed to something that's happening to you. Yeah. It, maybe it, because they were going to be yeah. leaving the house. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But he tried to chase after me when I was calling, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really think much of, but that ended up being a crime. Um, so after I had called, the cops came to my house and um, our one of my neighbors were, were dear friends and I, I sent my daughter over to their house so she wouldn't be here when the cops came. Um, and then here I am in my little suburban cul-de-sac and I've kept this quiet for so long. And then two cop cars are in my front yard. Um, and cat was out of the bag for everyone else. Um, but that was, that was so pivotal for me because I think women fight so hard for the safety of their children and without things like DUIs or, um, any sort of, criminal history, it is really hard to prove your case and prove your safety. Um, And I was so fortunate that in this crazy moment, I decided to call the cops and suddenly that was on his record. Um, The, I had never heard of a protective order. I didn't know that that was basically what a a restraining order is. Um, And the police who came to my house that night, they filed an emergency protective order for me which lasts for 72 hours um, and just basically keeps him from being able to come back to the house. Um, I had to go the following Monday to the courthouse to get it extended for two weeks, um, during which time then I could kind of figure out what my next steps were. And and when I did that, um, it was just such a God moment. I happened to be there. I didn't know, but, um, you know, Jeff had spent the weekend in jail and he was having his, I guess, bail hearing um, Mm. with the same uh, judge that I was going to be seeing. And um, the judge somehow could pick me out in the back of that courtroom. And I'm just mm-hmm. sitting there staring and looking at Jeff, who I could clearly see had been in withdrawal again. And he just was such a mess and just rambling and rambling to this judge. And and I could tell the judge was like, oh, I've, I've seen you people before. This is, you know, I'm not going to fall for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was just crazy to be in there with him. And um, and it was during that two weeks, um, we actually convinced his parents, his brother and I convinced his parents not to post bail until like the judge, like just let him go. Um, cause he didn't have like an arrestable offense that they could hold him on. Um, so he, um, he was able to be released and, um, I don't really know where he went at first Mm -hmm. Told us he was sleeping in his car, which turned out not to be the case. He had a a friend who let him stay on his couch. But then in my mind, I'm like, gosh, what kind of life am I living? I've got a husband who's in a car. Like, how is this Mm -hmm. my life? Yeah. Um, Just a really humbling moment and, and just crazy to, to, to relive now and just talk about again. Um, so from there, um, I got a lawyer, you know, fast forward, we go through all the mm-hmm. divorce proceedings yeah. and, and I get full custody. Um, he did not get a lawyer for, for quite some time. Um, and um, my mom was kind of our go-between and, and she would coordinate visits and um, 
he did a lot just like at our daycare. The daycare was so accommodating for us and he would go and bring lunch and have kids have lunch with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, was he trying at this point to be so, a good person, a good father? Yeah, it was awkward because he and I were not allowed to speak to each other, which I'm actually really grateful for because I think it would have been not easy to take him back, but easy to just feel more guilt and more compassion and want to like help him as opposed to letting him finally do it on his own. Um, and he has an incredible fear of just the law and being in trouble. And so part of his release was he had to be sober um, and he had random drug tests. So he did, I believe, stay sober uh, during the period um, in which he was being drug tested and you know, mm-hmm. tested alcohol. So he was seeing the kids um, a couple times a week, he, um, mostly like at our house, um, which was kind of awkward, but, you know, with their ages, you know, and he couldn't yeah. drive anywhere. That was kind of what we were limited to. Um, but as soon as the drug testing stopped, um, he was clearly back to drinking. Um, oh, no. Yeah. And his, his visits very quickly, like, faded. Um, it's hard to, like, pinpoint all the timelines. Um, mm-hmm. But we went through so that whole summer and fall. You know, he, he missed his um, daughter's birthday. He missed our son's first birthday. That was really mm-hmm. awkward, having a birthday party without him on his first right. birthday. <laughs> Um, so we made it through Christmas. He called me, um, we had signed our property settlement agreement, which basically, um, talked about all of our custody agreements and, you know, just how we're going to divide our assets and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and then after that, we were able to, to speak again. Um, and here I was like, I I wanted to be so hopeful that we were going to come to this place of being just beautiful co-parents together. Right. He was a great guy. Like, I think one of the hardest parts for me whenever I would tell someone is, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. He's such a good guy. He's so nice. And, mm-hmm. and he, was, he was such a great, great person. Um, but alcohol just totally turned him into someone else. Um, but I was super hopeful that, you know, in a couple of years, we'd be in a place where we'd have birthday parties together and we'd be able mm-hmm. to have dinner together and just be really good friends. Um and then that ended up not being the case. He was, um, we had a couple more conversations where he made some kind of attempt to, you know, get me back or just kind of, you know, figure out like, why are you still like this? I'm better now. And, you know, he clearly wasn't. Um, so then he started secretly seeing someone new. Uh, and I'll leave some of the funny details of that uh, <laughs> for the readers. But um, I, was quite the stalker of like, his <laughs> Facebook and his phone records. Cause it was all like my accounts still, cause our divorce wasn't final. And um, so anyways, I found out about this girl long before anyone else did. And, you know, just to kind of reiterate what a bad place he was in. So they started dating. Um, and then four months later, he apparently had proposed to her and oh. we were still married. And she was also <laughs> married. <laughs> Oh, awesome. I can't remember if I wrote that in the book. <laughs> um, so if it wasn't my life, it was really comical just to, to look at right. what was happening. Um, but, but pretty much once she entered his life, he had something new to be looking forward to. Um, and he really dropped off with the kids. He stopped visiting. It would be, um, you know, every couple of months, phone calls, if I called him because, hey, your daughter wants to talk to you. Um, but he, he really dropped off and he was 
clearly drinking very, very heavily. Um, throughout that summer when he was with her, I think we saw him. I don't know. I don't think we saw him at all. I think we just talked to him on the phone a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that fall, um, I had been looking forward to my daughter was starting kindergarten. And I had been just like getting closer and closer to like running out of money until daycare was ending for her. And I was looking forward to her starting kindergarten and suddenly like being in the positive every month. And then um, his child support stopped coming and it, it came automatically. It was withdrawn from his paycheck. And so I called and HR couldn't tell me if he worked there or not. So I was like, that's fine. I'll just call. He was still um, a chef at the time. And so I, I called the kitchen and I just asked for him. They're like, oh, he hasn't worked here in a month. Oh, well, uh, found out no job and, um, sent him a text and was like, Hey, what's, what's the deal? And instead of just like telling me like, Oh, I lost my job. I'm working on another one. It was, don't worry, you'll have your money. I'll, I'll send you your money. And, um, that was, I think probably one of the last times I talked to him. Um, he, I got a call from my brother-in-law on what would have been our anniversary, uh, it was our first like official divorce anniversary. And um, then he called me that evening and I was like, oh, that's really sweet. He's calling just to check in and see how I did. Um, and that's not why his brother was calling me. His brother was calling me to tell me that Jeff had died. Yeah. And I like, I couldn't believe it. I just, it was just insane. He was 36 years old. Um, obviously we didn't have a lot of information at the time. Um, his poor fiance had to find him on Facebook um, and contact him because Jeff had kept everyone a secret from her and, um, then she didn't know how to reach any of his family. And so she called his brother and told him. And then I ended up getting a call about an hour later from police at his house. And I never really figured that out. I think it's because we had the protective order at one point. And so of course they called me because of that. Um, and I just kind of gave them the information that I knew and I knew he'd been drinking and, um, you know, this was at, you know, now almost midnight, um, they were having all these calls and I was, I just, I didn't even know where to begin to process. I, um, emailed my uh, daughter's school counselor and just said, Hey, um, want to just chat with you in the morning. Um, if you have suggestions on how I tell her this, and then I reached out to my church, um, I think one of my biggest blessings in all this, which like I haven't talked about yet was just, I didn't grow up religious and I hadn't, I didn't, you know, have a relationship with God. And I think it's so common that when you're going through something dark, that's kind of when you come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly the case for me. And it was actually because of going to one of those AA meetings with Jeff early on, it was at a church that I just walked in and I was like, wow, this place feels like home. And I literally went every week and then did a small group every week with my kids did a, childcare thing at the same time. And it was just, it was lovely. Um, but so yeah. I went to my church and, and that was the first place I went the next morning. Um, just like, I think my biggest struggle is I had been praying. I, I know the statistics of single parents and I know the statistics of children who don't have a dad in their life. And I had so much fear for these little sweet, sweet, sweet kids who were two and just barely five at the time, you know, a month into kindergarten. And 
I just, I had so much fear for them. And so that whole year when we were going through the divorce and he was clearly getting worse, I just prayed, Lord, if he's going to be better, make him better, keep him in our life. If he is not going to get better, let him be out of our lives. Let him be out of our lives. Let him just be yeah. the absent father and not be in and out over the years. That was my biggest fear is the in and out over the years. Yeah. Um, I think out, I don't know. I think psychologists disagree, but I just, I think in and out just feels way more painful than just out. Um, yeah. It, you can't rely on anything. The kids would, you know, grow up with the, that unknown sort of the, you yeah. know, yeah. So, um, so I had a lot of guilt cause I was like, oh my gosh, did I, make this happen. Like, oh, I, like I just yeah. felt responsible. Like, did I yeah. pray that he would die? That's not what I meant. I just meant like, go away and not be in and right. out of their lives. And, um, and my pastors were just so wonderful to me and just like prayed over me. They gave my daughter, um, a memory box, which I thought was such a sweet little gift. And, you know, she's just barely learning how to write. Um, but I helped her and we wrote little um, memory she had of her dad in the box and put pictures in there and um, just things that she would be able to hold on to. So um, so I waited like a day or two to tell her till the end of the school week, um, sat her down and, and just, she hadn't seen him in six months, but I told her um, that he wasn't coming back uh, yeah. in heaven. And that was hard. Um, but I think you know, again, looking at all these little blessings, um, six weeks prior, our dog had suddenly passed away. Um, and she like, hadn't been sick, but she got sick overnight. And the next morning I had to put her down. Right. And my daughter was like devastated over the dog. Um, and that was her introduction to heaven though. And right. if that happened, I, I just think it would have been so much harder for her, but for the process. About, yeah. Yeah. And we had talked about heaven and how great it is and how much fun our dog was having and, and how <laughs> daddy's up there and playing with the dog. And, um, it just, it made it a lot easier for her to process. So yeah, I think that's been one of the biggest lessons for me is all of the hard things that you go through. You, you see a lot of the point in them later on. Um, for sure. They never feel good going through it, but, um, you know, just knowing that there's a reason behind everything. I, I want to get to where you are now, but I just want to acknowledge you for a, a couple of things. Number one, the strength uh, and resilience you have. It's just absolutely incredible, but also the kindness and compassion that you have towards Jeff. Um, you know, you say maybe it was good that you couldn't talk to him because you would have shown him compassion, but throughout your entire story, I am hearing just this recurring theme of compassion and kindness and still speaking about him with such kindness, despite what you went through. It's, you really are quite phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I, I can't even imagine. And thank you for sharing this because there are other women for sure going through similar situations, related situations, and your story will help them know they're not alone. It's, it can be so isolating. And I mean, like you, you said, or one of us said about when it becomes public and that shame that you feel 
um, from other people knowing and the guilt that you go through, those are all such isolating and personal emotions that to know that there are others out there and to have a resource to reach out to is just so important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard when you're going through the divorce too. I think everyone handles that differently. In my case, I was very quiet about it. Here I was, I had, you know, just started a new job. I had other than my boss and two, two or three people on my team. Um, and I work for a large company and um, my department's pretty big. Nobody knew anything I was going through. I had to kind of just, I didn't have to, but I did. I kept it quiet. Um, and it, it, in the one hand, it was really wonderful because I got to go to work and that was like my place to like, I mm-hmm. not think about it and just perform and do a great job. Um, but then it was also really hard where I just, you just never know what people are going through. And so that always try to always try and think about that when I'm having a bad day or I can tell someone else is having a bad day. Like, I don't know what they're going through because they're probably not sharing it here at work. Totally. Totally. Important. Um, and when he died, that was the first time most people knew anything that I had gone through. Um, when I, I remember when I changed my name back at work, um, and this was like a month before he died, um, everyone congratulated me thinking I got married. I'm like, oh. I just had my second baby. Like, no, I didn't just get married, <laughs> but reverse congratulations. That's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd had that whole year to heal. So it didn't, I didn't break down in tears when someone said something like that. And right. I think I was way too emotional. Um, when I was first going through my divorce, I didn't want to be talking about it at all to anybody. Fair. I, I've, I haven't been through anything like this, but uh, I have a friend who's going through something different, but equally um, devastating. And she is also so strong. And I just keep thinking, I don't know that I could. I mean, I'm a very emotional person. I cry at the drop of a hat. I, I don't know. I, I admire so much the strength that you have, um, that you could hold it all in and uh, and process it on your own. You know, I it's... into a lot of conference rooms to have a good yeah. time. I did not wear that era for months. Fair. And you know, you you touch on my strength. The one thing that I will say is you have strength. Every one of these women have strength. And I think you just, it's easy to see it in other people and a lot harder to see it in ourselves. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I think has been tough for me since this book came out is the women who reach out to me who haven't left yet or waited 15 years to leave. And they're like, oh, I wish I could have been strong like you, but there's so much strength in staying too. And yeah. the ability to keep it together, to raise your children, to shield them as much as you can. And I was very fortunate that I was the breadwinner of our family. I didn't have, even though I was running out of money throughout this whole process, I didn't have the fears that some of the women I met going through divorce, they were stay-at-home moms. And those are the bravest women like that I know. Like You had the strength. Yeah. You don't even have a steady income to fall back on and you're still going to be that brave to leave. Um, and so I just, I just want women to recognize the strength that they have no matter what situation they're in and no matter what phase they are in, in whatever process, you know, they're experiencing. That is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's so true. Okay. So we fast forward a little, can you share (laughs) what your life looks like now? Oh, my life today. I mentioned that there's a little one at home. Um, so I I really went through all the steps when I was going through my divorce. Um, I did not want to be one of those statistics um, where the second marriage is more likely to fail than the first. Mm. Um, I went through a wonderful support group called Divorce Care 
which I recommend to anyone going through a divorce. Um, they also have a grief care program if you've, if you've experienced a different kind of loss. Um, but the program was just phenomenal. And it, it's a week by week um, video based series that just kind of helps you explore everything that you're going through. And I just really took that time to understand how did I get myself into this position? What did I not, what did I not do right? Cause it wasn't all on him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really just took that year for myself and then my kids were so little. I'm like, who the heck is going to want to date a 13 year old <laughs> with two little kids at home? Like, no one's going to want that. But um, there's so many fun little dating apps out there. And I had a coworker um, that I worked with who was like 24 on, and on all of them. And I was like, <laughs> I'll just get on. It'll be fun. And I'll just, you know, I'll just play around on the apps and, and go on a couple of dates. Because I met Jeff when I was 20. He was like the only adult relationship I had had. Um, so I'd never really dated, especially in this, in this day and age with all of the apps and things. So, um, so I played around there, had, you know, a bunch of first dates, a few second dates, and then didn't really do much with it. Took a break. Um, then probably five or so months after Jeff had passed, um, someone else had reached out to me. I was on um, eHarmony, a little plug for them because <laughs> I met my husband. Um, he had reached out to me. And we always tell our stories differently, but I would generally log on like after I put the kids to bed and he had just happened to message me at like 10 o'clock, which was around the time I would normally get on. So I messaged him right back because I'm not one to play games. I've got two little kids at home. I'm going to get on, get on. Um, So I messaged him. We chatted for like a week and went out on our first date. Um, His name is Josh. And we, um, we went on like a two and a half hour dinner and I don't ever say yes to a dinner for a first date. And I don't know why I did. Um, other than it had been months since I had gone on a date and I was like, Oh, what the heck? I'll just, I'll go and, um, I'll enjoy the, the shrimp and it'll be lovely. Um, (laughs) And I didn't even know at the end of two and a half hours with this, with this guy, if I even really liked him, I just really enjoyed the conversation and, Um, I'd had a good time talking. He didn't once ask about the kids or my ex, which I really Mm. appreciated. Um, And I didn't notice that I I appreciated that until after the fact. And I realized, wow, all we did was talk about each other, um, which was really nice. And I hadn't realized that that was something that didn't take place in most of the other dates. So, um, So we went out again and the next date was like, an eight hour, like all day long oh. out, <laughs> um, where we went to like breweries and wineries and, um, just had a fun day hanging out together. And, um, even though that's weird, I still, I still drink. I'm not the alcoholic. I, it's mm-hmm. people kind of have mixed feelings on that after they've lived with an alcoholic, but, right. um, you know, I, I think as long as you have a healthy relationship, then that's, okay. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, that was our second date. Um, and you know, fast forward, we ended up, um, getting engaged about a year later. Um, my parents were incredibly nervous. He was, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy and they adored him. Um, but they didn't go through the healing process that I went through. Right. Um, and they were really scared, um, which was surprising. Um, and they didn't bring it up until, uh, randomly where we were all on a beach vacation together and my mom got upset with something one night and um and then she finally told us how nervous they were and I was like oh my gosh mom like hello yeah. we didn't speak up last time let's speak up this time if you have concerns let's talk through them 
Yeah. So I think we, we got them to a good place, but it was, it was a real wake up for me of not everyone healed the same way I did. Um, mm-hmm. And my parents had to do so much for me to get me through um, that divorce. I needed so much help with the kids. I needed, I just needed. And, um, and they were the ones who were there to, to provide and help me. Well, so, you talk about how you're fearful for your own kids, right? It's the same thing. Right. You're their never. little girl. <laughs> it yeah. never stops. Never stops, which is scary because I <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so we we got engaged. Um, I one of my first calls was to my brother-in-law to tell him because he had actually met Josh um, on a trip that we went on the, the previous fall. I mean. Josh, like what an amazing guy who, who wants to go on a family vacation with (laughs) their girlfriend's ex-husband's family. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think everyone had a good time. Um, His, his brother and wife are great and we just, and their kids are the same age as mine. And so, um, so we had just spent the weekend um, away with them. And so I was glad that he had gotten to meet, um, meet them. Mm-hmm. before we got engaged and you know I called um my brother-in-law and he was like I'm not surprised um I'm happy for you I think he's great for you and and that support meant a lot um, yeah because I didn't know what our relationship would be like um going forward um especially once I decided to actually publish this book I was really fearful um mm-hmm. that once it was out there that they wouldn't want it out there um how has that been it's been great um great I was so, so nervous, um, especially when they told me they wanted their names changed before they even read the book. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> um, but they were, they were great. When they read it, they were like, Ashley, I wish we could have helped more. I wish we had known more. Because oh. they knew more than anybody. But even what they knew was nothing. Right. Um, so um, so they've been super supportive. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So Josh and I got married. Um, we've been married uh, now uh, just over two years. Um, after a year, I got pregnant, and we have a little boy, Caleb, at home. He's about mm-hmm. one, and my older two are now six and nine, and they are obsessed with him. I was really nervous how the dynamic would change and if they'd be yeah. nervous, if they'd be jealous, but they're not. They're the best big siblings, and I was surprised how quickly I was able to get back into lack of sleep and nursing, <laughs> all of that. Um, but doing it in my mid thirties, um, is nice. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, and, and knowing for real, this one is the end. This is the last one. Right. Um, it's really nice to soak him in and just enjoy all of the time with all of the kids. That's amazing. I am so happy for you that so your book is called The Other Side of the Door. And it's when you first see that title, you're not entirely sure why it's called that. But hearing your story, it's, it's so clear you, you know, I mean, well, there's two parts to it. You are now on the other side of the door. (laughs) Uh, But also, you never know what's going on behind somebody else's door. Right? Right? It's, Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, I have a couple of questions. I just, I, I really appreciate you just sharing your story. And I, I really didn't script much for this podcast because I, I just wanted it to just, I wanted to hear from you. 
Um, what advice, you've said a couple of things that you would, you would give as advice to people going through a similar situation. What advice would you give to a mom that's going through this experience? So for me, I'm, I'm really optimistic and positive. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I was really fearful going through my divorce is I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose that core part of me. And so I think remaining optimistic, holding on to hope, this is a phase. Um, It is a terrible phase and so Mm -hmm. hard to face emotionally, but there is another side and you will get through it. Um, Life is going to feel good again. Amazing. Amazing. All right. I normally I ask questions about, you know, how do you define balance and what does self-care look like to you? But I just I <laughs> this conversation has been so meaningful. Um I I feel a bit, you know, trite just <laughs> you know saying <laughs> saying those questions. Um but I will ask one because I know you've learned a lot of lessons in in that last I guess it's 10 years. Uh, what is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom? Oh, I think just accepting that I'm going to mess up mm. a million times. Um, I'm going to keep messing up and I'm going to keep trying to get it right. Um, my kids are going to turn out okay. My kids are not a statistic and they are going to turn out to be wonderful, wonderful people. And I'm not screwing them up. I'm giving them just the right balance of <laughs> toughness and um, and they're going to be okay. I think just just knowing that you're never going to be the perfect mom, there's no such thing. And if you right. care about being a perfect mom, you're probably a pretty good mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. A great lesson. Thank you for that. So your book, as I said, is called The Other Side of the Door. Where can people find it? It is available on Amazon. It is in Kindle and paperback. Um, and then I also have an Instagram account called the other side of motherhood. Okay. I post regularly. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I, I, I just said thank you, but thank you for sharing your story and for putting your message out there for others to hear and to not feel alone. It, it really, I think I've used the word incredible about 18 times during this episode, but really you are incredible and it's such important work to share that story. And I know it has not been an easy journey, but you really have come out the other side and you are making it into something so very positive for others to help them. So I really wanted to acknowledge you for that. Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. This is the first time I've gotten to share the story um, on a podcast and I'm so, so grateful for that and, and being able to get the word out. Well, I, I encourage everybody to, to get a copy and to follow you and, uh, share your story where they feel it would do the most good as well. If they know somebody going through it. Yeah. So yeah, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Have a great one. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.